This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Oh, it's fun to be here with everyone today. You made it on a cold California day. Uh, it's still not cold to me. I'm still used to like minus 30 winters coming from Canada. So uh, if you're cold, you're a wimp. Um, <laughs> but you're loved, so it's okay. Uh, we're going to continue. We're, we're in this three-week series. It's our vision series where we're just taking a look at who we are as a church and, and how we want to reflect Jesus to the world around us. And so I'm, I'm excited for the journey we've been on. If you're new and you're just discovering or exploring this whole faith journey or who we are as a church, this is a great couple weeks to be a part of what we're doing. I'd encourage you to go back, catch last week's message if you missed it. It's going to be good to walk through this together as a church because I don't know if you realize this or not, but church is us chasing Jesus together. Church is so much more than just something you go to once a week, though that's a part of the journey by all means. And so I'm excited for where we're headed for the next couple of weeks. So I I just want to ask a question. It's maybe an obvious question as we get started today, but have you ever been disappointed with someone in your life? Yeah, yeah. You don't look at them, but I'm just, just, I'm asking you, look at me. (laughs) And years ago, uh, we had just moved into our new apartment. We just moved back to the L.A. area as a family, and I was so proud of myself. I had just put together one of the most complicated pieces of furniture Ikea had ever made. <laughs> and I didn't even have all the parts. They had screwed up the packaging. But I got our new TV cabinet put together. And it was th- this beautiful wooden piece of furniture with these doors that just swung open and just stopped at a perfect angle so it just looked clean and sharp. And I just put in the old TV. Remember the old TVs? that were like bricks, like, like, and I just lugged this giant thing and put it in, and it was all there, and I couldn't wait to show Christy and Indy. We, we didn't have Brooklyn yet. She was sort of on the way, but I was just like, all right, the TV's ready, and Indy, we're going to watch Tinkerbell now, and she was so excited, so she comes running through the cabinet, grabs the doors, and just throws them open as hard as she can, and the door just snaps and falls off. And I was like, what did you do? Because there's like three hours of my life had just fallen apart. And I was just like, go to your room. And she just starts crying and runs off. And I was so disappointed. But not with her. I was disappointed with me. You know what I mean? Because I realized in that moment, like, that was not the way to react. Like, and, and like, parenting is hard enough already. But in that moment, I just felt like I failed as a dad. I felt like I had felt like I just felt like I didn't measure up to what I was supposed to be, to who I was meant to be in that moment. I mean, have you ever felt like that in life? Like just disappointed with yourself? And th- th- there's, there's reasons why I think we don't always feel like we measure up. I, I think sometimes we, we don't feel like we measure up because, I mean, let's just be honest, it's because of other people. But no, really, I mean, really. <laughs> Because there are people in our stories that will always try to make us feel small. Those are fun people to have in your story. <laughs> but I mean, that's some reasons why we don't always feel like we measure up. Or I think another reason why we don't always feel like we measure up is that we're always trying to seek their approval. And we can just never seem to get it, whoever they are. I mean, some of us, that's, that's that parent that just wasn't what we needed from them, right? And we're just going through life still as adults trying to get that approval. And there's just something else that just doesn't feel like we measure up. And sometimes we, we don't feel like we measure up because 
we just set stupid expectations for ourselves that are just unattainable. Or you know what's even worse than getting your, like achieving some of those expectations? Realizing that they still don't satisfy you. But there's just that feeling like we don't always measure up. But then there's another reason why I think we feel like we don't measure up. It's because we don't. One of the early Christian leaders, this guy Paul, he, he wrote so much of what we have in the Bible, so much of the scriptures that we have, and, and he, he taught a lot about what he learned and experienced in his journey of following Jesus. And, and he writes this very simple sentence that just feels like you get punched in the gut when you read it. This is what Paul says in Romans 3.23. He says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I hate this verse. First of all, I don't like the word sin a whole lot. It just seems so antiquated and out of, out of touch with the, the sophisticated people we are today. Right? But the word itself just means you didn't live up to what you were supposed to do or you failed to do. You know, like, so... As much as I don't like the word, it's like, okay, I guess it's kind of true of me, okay. And, and the point Paul's making here is it's not that we didn't measure up to each other. We didn't measure up to God because God created us to be like him, to know him and walk with him. And when we walked away from God, we fell short. And, and yeah, I'll just be honest, this is a lot of times I wrestle with what Paul has to say. I, I wrestle with the things that he talks about. Like, I don't always like Paul because sometimes he just puts it out there and it just kind of hits me in the stomach. And I'm like, dude. I don't need another person telling me what's wrong with me. Like, can't you just tell me I'm pretty or something? Like, like why are you so so fierce, Paul? And and yet, as much as I don't always like what Paul has to say, I do have to wrestle with it because there's an important question I have to ask. Is he telling us the truth? Is there something here that we need to pay attention to because maybe there's something we need to know about the journey we're on? And it's always fascinating for me when I, when I see the collective of us wrestling with the things we see written in the Bible. Because there's stuff in there that's confusing. There's stuff in there that just seems weird. There's stuff in there that we don't always like. Have you noticed that? And is it just me? Yeah, some of us, like, you've noticed all that. And it's always fascinating to see how we try to wrestle with those things that we see in there that we don't always like. And, and especially with some of the stuff that Paul will write. And, and I think sometimes, oftentimes, what we'll do is we'll kind of create this picture in our head. And, and we're like, well, I really like this Jesus guy but I'm not so sure about this Paul guy. Like, I, I really like Jesus because, you know, Jesus just seemed like he was all about, like, like, love and making me feel good. But then I read what Paul writes, and it almost seems like Paul was like the, the OG Catholic. <laughs> he just, he had the, the guilt and shame dialed in from day one. <laughs> and I don't always know, like, like, Paul, you're so mean. Except that I don't think he really is. I think when we actually look at the things that Paul writes, what we begin to realize is that Paul is passionate and he's forthright in what he wants to tell us because he experienced something when he encountered Jesus that totally changed his life forever. And he's so excited about what had happened in his own story that he can't wait to share it with everyone he encounters because he knows that how his life was transformed could be true of any person on the planet. And Paul just can't wait to make sure that we know this because when Paul encountered Jesus, his life was changed forever. And I don't know if you know his story or not. You can read about it. It's in the book of Acts. It's the the story of the first followers of Jesus. And when we first meet Paul, his name was originally Saul. And you can read about him in Acts chapter 7. But Paul was not a friend of Jesus in the early Christian movement. 
Paul was part of the religious establishment in the day that was anti-Jesus. And Paul's number one mission was to wipe out the Jesus movement from the very beginning. And so he was going all around the world of his day. And he was arresting the first Christians. He was having them killed. I mean, he was a bad dude. He was like, like a terrorist in his day towards the early Christians. And then one day he's on this journey to go to this town to arrest more Christians, and along the way, Jesus shows up, like the resurrected, powerful Jesus, creator of the universe, that Jesus, not the little one in the manger, (laughs) that Jesus suddenly shows up and literally knocks him off his ass, the donkey. (laughs) That's appropriate use of the word. And Paul is struck down, and he's looking at this glorious person, and he's like, "Who who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus who you're messing with. Okay, that's never a good day. When the all-powerful creator of the universe rolls up on you and says, you're out of order. And here's Paul like, I'm done. I've been on the wrong side this whole time. I'm public enemy number one. My story's over. Except the story was just about to begin. Because what Jesus says is, Paul, I want you to go to the town and I'm going to send some of my people and they're going to tell you about me. And I got a plan for your life. And it's going to be good. And Paul's whole story was transformed and changed forever. This encounter with Paul so transformed him that when he's writing later on in his life to his protege, this young pastor that he's training in the ways of following Jesus, he can't help but tell the story of how his life was changed. So Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. He says this, He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and and appointed me to serve him because I was the most cool, awesome person in the world, and I was so great. He looked at me and said, can you be on my team, Paul? Oh, I'm reading the wrong Bible. Sorry. No, he appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. And where's that bumper sticker? Like, wouldn't that be a great bumper sticker? People were like, oh, no wonder that guy's a jerk on the freeway. <laughs> but God had mercy on me. God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. See, Paul's not mean. Paul's transformed and so passionate about the story that he wants others to understand. Look at what he did for me. He can do it for you too. But you got to recognize that there's some work that has to be done in the story if you want to step into this life. And there's something that Paul realized that this is a truth that not only transformed his life, it's a truth that can transform anyone's life. 
And there's something so amazing that I think Paul helps us understand as we look at what was done in his story and the things that he wants to tell us, the things that we just saw him writing to his protege, Timothy. There's this beautiful hope that I think can be true of all of us. So we're all in process. None of us have arrived. None of us have it all figured out. We're all on this journey figuring it out. And what that means is that whatever your story is, wherever you're coming from, you are a work in progress. And so I don't care if you're a goody two-shoes or a batty boo-shoes. I don't know what the opposite of that would be, but I don't care what you are. I don't care where you're coming from. We're all on a journey of becoming. And so the question is, what are we becoming? Like, are we actually becoming a better version of ourselves? Or are we becoming something else? Like something less than who we were meant to be. And see, the amazing thing about finding Jesus is that he wants to call us into our truest self. He wants to invite us into who we were meant to be. That's what Paul experienced on that road when Jesus showed up. Jesus is like, listen, Paul, I know you think you're all that. I know you think you're about this, but I want to show you who you really are. I'm going to use you to actually change the world if you will let me change your story. And it's a beautiful thing when we begin to realize this, that we're all in process. But I think we have to be careful with this. I think there's a couple of mistakes that we can make with this idea that we're all in process, that this reality is going on. I think, I think the first mistake that we can make with this is that we can use this idea to justify our behavior. You know what I mean? I am not a bad driver. I was trained on the streets of L.A. I've confessed this many, many times. So when I cut you off, it's because you don't know what you're doing. I am not an angry man. I'm just a deep introvert who cries this way until the dam breaks. But that's not my problem. That's just who I am. You understand what I'm saying? And if we're not careful, we can use this to justify our behavior instead of explaining it and seeking help with our behavior. But I think that's one of the mistakes that we can make with this is that we can use this as a justification instead of a hope for transformation. But here's another mistake that I think we can do with this, that the idea that we're all in process. We can use this to beat other people up because they're not there yet, right? Because look at how far I've come and look at how awesome I am, but you're not. Ooh, sorry, no, you got to sit over there on that side of the room because that's where those people, you know what I mean? Like, like and we can do this. And churches can get notorious for this. How many, how many of you have some wounds in your life because of a church experience? Yeah. My hand is up with you. I've been a recipient and a giver. You know what's weird? We like to beat churches up for this all the time. But it's not just a church problem. This is a human problem. I always love when people are like, the church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, yeah. You and I are here. Of course it's full of hypocrites. <laughs> the reason the church is full of hypocrites is because the world is full of hypocrites. I'm telling you, they're at the gym working out with you. They're at the office working with you. Like, like, yes, the church is full of people who have issues and have problems because we're all in process. 
the hope for us in the church is that we're somehow learning to become honest hypocrites. <laughs> People who are just saying, like, yeah, I need help. That's why I'm here. But if we're not careful, we can make that mistake of, of beating people up because they haven't arrived to where we think they need to arrive yet. And with both of these mistakes, whether it's justifying our own behavior or beating people up for their behavior, it's, it's almost like there's these two paths that we can walk in life that we, we have to figure out how to avoid because they're not good paths. Like one path is the path, path of judgment and condemnation of another person. But the other path that's just equally as dangerous is, is denying and, and dismissing the brokenness in our own story. Like pretending it's all fine when it's not. Like somehow we have to come to that place in the middle of these two paths, in the middle of these mistakes where we can say, I have problems. I need help. And there's hope in my story. Because when we can get there, sky's the limit for what could happen when Jesus begins to show up in our story. So is there a better way than perpetuating these mistakes, than walking either of these paths. And I think there is, because it's the way Paul discovered when he encountered Jesus. And I love what Paul talks about this in one of his letters to the first Christians. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes these beautiful words. And I just want to spend some time walking through this with us this morning and, and just kind of soaking this in together. Is that okay with you? If it's not, it's going to be awkward. So let's just look at what Paul has to say about this whole idea that we're in process. And so he writes this to, to this church that he'd been a part of. And he says, hey, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And you know why he's telling them whatever happens? Because he's in prison as he's writing this letter, and he's about to get executed. And I love this. His concern is for them. He's like, hey, I just want you to know it's, it's all good. Whatever happens, Jesus wins and I'm with him. So let's rejoice in him. And then Paul goes on because he's a shepherd looking out for his people. And so he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Have you ever had to worry about those people recently? You're like, what? <laughs> See, but Paul's writing to his context in the first century, and here's what, here's what was going on. The majority of the people that were coming to Jesus first were Jews, because Jesus was a Jew, and he came to fulfill God's promise of salvation for the entire human race through this one group of people that God was working throughout history to bring to this moment. And so back in the day, in order to be right with God, you had to get circumcised. That's what something God did with his prophet Moses way back when. And so what was the big question on the table for the first Christians was, does somebody who's not a Jew have to become a Jew first in order to become a Christian? And the answer became no, which I'm really glad because wouldn't that be a tough sell? Hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. You want to come to a circum circumcision party we're having? Like, like how, how weird would that be? But this is what Paul's saying, because that had to do with law and performance and somehow saying, God, I'm going to earn my way to you. And what Jesus says is, no, I've earned everything for you. Now walk with me. And Paul's like, those people will not lead you to the truth, so stay away from them. He goes, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Like We've been made right with God through what Jesus has done. So we rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. And Paul is about to brag on himself here. Indeed, 
If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And so he's about to give us his spiritual pedigree. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I've got some friends who are Italian, and they are so proud to let me know, no, we're real Italian. You know, like you have friends like that? Like, like my mom is the one who owns the restaurant, and like we have that table in the back where business happens, if you know what I mean. Like, like I have friends that are like, like they, they want me to know like they're real Italians, right? Like, here's what Paul's saying. Like, hey, you, you want to know if, I, if I'm right according to the law, according to all the old stuff before Jesus? I'm that guy. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. He's the one that makes me good with God now. I don't have to do the dog show anymore. I don't have to run the laps. I don't have to jump through the hoops. I've encountered something that has totally set me free. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So I want to know Christ and experience the power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Like like what Paul's saying is, I want to go wherever Jesus goes. I want to walk with him into whatever he has for me, even if that means struggle and hardship, because where he goes, I want to be, because he's my life now. He's the one who's changed me. He's the one who's transformed me. And I want to somehow wind up at the end of the game with him. And yet Paul realizes that even he is in process. So he goes on and he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. I love that word picture of what he's doing here with the language here. It's like I'm grabbing onto him with everything I've got because he's already grabbed onto me with everything he's got. Like, do you have that memory of just being a small child with, with an adult that you trusted? And maybe, like, there's just, like, you're going, like, like, through something, you're kind of afraid, and you're just holding on to them with everything you got for dear life because you think if you let go, you're done. But the reality is they've been holding on to you the whole time. Like, that's the idea of what Paul's saying. Like, Jesus has got me in his grip, but I'm still holding on to him with everything I've got. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I love that. Like, here's a guy that if we were to line ourselves up from best to worst, Paul, by all rights, could say, I was the best of the best. I was the valedictorian. I was the head of the class. I was the one who had it all put together. Guess what? That's nothing. Because I found the one who's done everything for me. So here's a guy 
that could be the best of the best and the worst of the worst because he was a violent murderer. <laughs> and so this guy is telling us, your past no longer defines you. Jesus finds you and transforms you and changes your story forever. We are all in process. And so Paul is so passionate to tell us these things. He's so forthright in the things that he writes because he wants us to understand that this is a truth that has not only changed his life, it can change any of our lives. That when we see Jesus, when we encounter him, our story can be changed forever. And we are a people who are in process. And this is a journey that wasn't simply true for Paul. It was true for every single person who encounters Jesus and begins to say, okay, I'll follow you. I don't know how it all works. I don't have it all figured out, but I'll follow you because I like what you're selling. <laughs> oh, and you paid the price already? I like it even more. <laughs> this is you loving me into the best version of me. I will follow. I will walk with you. I will step into that place with you. And see, these things can be true not just for us. It can be true for anyone. Which is why we as a church are really big on Jesus. Because not only do we believe he can be changing our story, he can change the story of anyone who walks through these doors on any given Sunday. That's why our mission as a church is pretty simple. It's helping others experience and discover new life in Jesus by loving people the way Jesus loves all of us. That's pretty simple, right? And yet it's profound if we can do it well. Because if we can be a church that can learn to do that well, then we can help others encounter the same hope and realize that there's a transformation on the table for them too, just like it's happening in our own story. And, and I've been doing this long enough to know that on any given Sunday, God can change anyone's story. Years ago, we were wrapping up a different church that my family and I were a part of, and we were just wrapping up the morning and hanging out, and I remember seeing this guy. I remember seeing him in the room. Like, this is a large church that we're part of, but I remember seeing him in the room, and it was just a face I hadn't recognized. And so we just kind of made a connection at the back end of the morning, and, and I introduced myself, and he, he introduced himself, and so, hey, I'm Joel. And he's like, hey, hi, hey, I'm Michael. I'm, I'm brand new. I've never been here before. He's just like, I'm, I'm actually scared to death. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like the building's not going to blow up. We're okay. <laughs> and uh, he just begins to tell me a little bit of his story. And, and it began a conversation that began a friendship that began a journey together. But Michael had shown up on that Sunday because he was scared to death. He had just become a new dad. And he's like, I don't know how to be a dad. I'm, not, I'm having a hard time being a good husband. I need help. And I, and I just loved how honest he was in that moment. Because here's a guy that just, he just wanted to become a better man. And I looked at him and I just said, like, dude, join the club. Like, I, I'm, I'm here a part of this thing too because I want to be a better man. I want to know how to be the person I was meant to be. And I know I need help with that. And it was so fun to walk with Michael in that period of life because he was just, he would show up and just, what else, what else is there to learn? What else is there to understand? What else is there? And I'm just like, just when you, when you hear Jesus kind of talking to you, if your default operating system is yes, that will always lead you to something good. What if I don't understand it? Sometimes we understand it along the way. What if I don't like it? Yeah, we don't always like it. 
But if we believe he's good, maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt. And Michael just kept, kept taking steps and kept taking steps. And then I remember one day he was talking to me and he just said, hey, hey Joel, I, I made this like pretty big step. I'm like, what was it? He's like, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. Like, like I, I asked him into my heart. I asked him to come and change my story. And, and it just, I felt like something new was happening. And, and I realized that, uh, that I'm, for the first time, I'm starting to become the man I want to be because this is what Jesus is doing in my story. And I said, Michael, isn't it so cool? And you know what's even more cool? He's not done with me yet. Like, this is just the beginning. Imagine what would happen if we could just keep walking with him for the next 10 15, 20, 30 years of our lives, think who we could become. I think we'd really like those guys. And we'd also realize that it wasn't really us. It was him at work in us. And then Michael said, I want to get baptized. I said, well, Michael, you can't get baptized until you have it all figured out and you can answer all the theology questions. And <laughs> No, I did not say that. It's like, yeah, Michael, that's what we do. Like when we follow Jesus, we just take the step to get baptized because that's this beautiful way of us identifying ourselves in a very beautiful, powerful way of saying, Jesus, I belong to you. So I don't know if you, you've really thought about what baptism is, but it's this beautiful moment of just saying, Jesus, I want to I follow you. And there's beautiful imagery and, sim, and symbolism in the baptism. Because when we get baptized, we, we go under the water, and then we come up out of the water. And it's a beautiful symbol of us dying to our old life and being raised into a new life with Jesus. Just like Jesus died and was rose from the dead for us, when we are baptized, we're identifying our story with his now. And what we're saying is, Jesus, I, I want to somehow die with you to this old life and come up out of the waters into a new life with you. And Jesus, when I'm getting baptized, what I'm saying is, wherever you go, I'm going with you. Whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of it. Please take me with you. So Michael got baptized, and it was an awesome day to celebrate with him. And then our families have moved, and his story is his story now. But you know what's really cool? I know I'm going to see him again someday. And I know I'm going to like the man he's become. Because I know Jesus is leading him into a brilliant future. And so what I wonder for us as a church is are we going to be a church that allows ourselves and others to be in process? That allows people to show up as they are and say, join the journey. Because there's a lot that God has for us. See, we're all in process. That should allow a couple of things. One, that should allow us to give permission for people to be where they are, wherever they are as they come into this place. But that should also give us a sense of hope that there's more in our story. There's more that God wants to do, that God's not done with us. And so the question is, what kind of church are we going to be? Like, are we going to be a church that's just a bunch of fuddy-duddies acting like we have it all put together, putting on our Sunday best and wearing the masks, the, not the COVID masks, the other ones? You know, playing the, playing the game. Or are we going to be a church that, that somehow says, no, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. Just be who you are. Be true to yourself. Yeah, that's going to work out well. Let's just pretend it's all good when we know it's not. Let's pretend that our brokenness and our dysfunction is our truest identity. No, it's not. 
You were made by the maker of heaven and earth to be the greatest person you could ever hope to be. And the way we step into that is not by celebrating our brokenness or playing games. It's by following Jesus into the life he has for us. Which is why Paul is so passionate and willing to punch when we need to be punched. It's why he'll write the words, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But thank God he didn't stop there. He goes on in the very next sentence and he says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. I love that there is a yet in our stories. Thank God there's a yet in our stories. But no matter how much mess and brokenness there is in my story, God's like, I got you, bro. I've got grace. I've got mercy. I got more than you could ever hope or dream of. Let's go. I have a life for you. I want to set you free. And Jesus comes close and says, follow me. And we follow him into that hope. We follow him into that. And here's the thing about our context, our world. Our world doesn't need perfect people pretending they have it all put together. Our world needs honest people who are not ashamed of the hope they found and are willing to share Jesus with the world around them. And if we can be a church that does that, there won't be a building big enough in Sonoma County for the people that will want to come and see this dude Jesus who changes anyone's story. And so God, we want to we want to know your heart. We want to know the hope that can transform us and set us free. Thank you that you get that we are in process. You get that we are hungry and thirsty. Oh God, you know we're hungry and thirsty. Look at the stuff we chase to try to satisfy us and none of it does. Thank you that when we, when we come, even with fear, you're gently whispering, come on, one step closer. Come on, one step closer. I've got a life for you. Thank you that you meet us as we are. And in your mercy and grace, you begin to do something new in us. Thank you that we are never alone on this journey. Thank you that one of the things you tell us is that if we will be still and know that you are God, that's all we need. You are the one who transforms. You are the one who gives life. You are the one who changes our stories forever. So here in this place, we want to acknowledge that. We want to pray to you as the life changer and give ourselves to you. So would you take this song as our prayer and let it be our worship of you because of how good you are to us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at 
newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.